Welcome to the SoulWorks Podcast, a place where we explore self-care strategies that lead us to our well-being and highest self. I'm your host, Ade Chakor. I believe eating is a form of meditation. The act of preparing and eating literally brings together and awakens all our senses when you know done in a in full awareness visualizing our beautiful fruits vegetables legumes and all sorts of colorful foods even at just looking at them at the grocery store bringing it home and you know setting up our fridge and our kitchen in just a beautiful way is a form of meditation in my opinion And just think of how you selectively choose the vegetables and fruits at the store by, you know, before you bring it home and how you pick up your fresh apples or your tomatoes, you know, just look at them, see their colors and how you think of, you know, how they taste, what you're going to be making, what ingredients you're going to incorporate that certain fruit or vegetable with. All that awakens your senses and really adds up to how you eat, you know, once you bring it home and how, you you know, when you're cooking it, as you're preparing and cutting the vegetables, the sound it makes, how it looks, is all part of the eating experience. And then also when you're cooking, there's the aroma of the spices and the herbs and just the anticipation of how delicious it's going to be, all of that plays a huge role in how food is digested and how nutritious it is, how we absorb it. So it plays a big role. And, you know, once you've finally prepared your meal and when you think of how you've created it, all, all the thought that goes on to making that meal it's just a huge accomplishment and that satisfaction that you get. So there's just a big difference when we, you know, just go out to eat or when we bring carry out, when we actually put the thought into the food that we consume. And all that is part of meaningful eating. Meaningful eating is spiritual. It's emotional. We're allowing ourselves to give gratitude to the food that we have on our plates. It's an act of how it arrived there for our nourishment. It's humbling and just a beautiful thing when you really put the thought into it. You know, food is also, it fulfills us. It makes us feel good and safe. Uh, You know, we become aware that we are nourished by the whole universe because we've been given something that our body really needs imagine think of a time when you've been really hungry if you've experienced real hunger for food think of how you feel when you have a plate in front of you you know when you come to that feeling you understand how thankful you are for the meal you're about to consume So paying attention to food, we are eating, how we are eating it, and when we are eating it creates a sense of moderation, allowing us to take the time not only to truly savor what we eat, but also conscious in how it got there on our plates. So with this in mind, I have an amazing guest for us today. Cheryl Harris has she has a master's degree in public health nutrition from the University of California, Berkeley, and a bachelor's of science in nutritional sciences from Cornell University. She has worked as a registered dietitian and nutritionist for the past 13 years. Cheryl has trained extensively in mindfulness mindful eating, and stress management. 
and has completed the foundational mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher training through the Mindfulness-Based Teacher Training Institute at University of San Diego and MBSR practicum with Trish Maghiari Professional Training Program through the Center for Mind-Body Medicine and Coaching coursework on Shell May's I Am Hungry program. She's also certified as a health and wellness coach through Well Coaches. So this is an amazing podcast for you to listen to because we cover just amazing topics about mindful eating. So some of the things that we will be talking about uh, with Cheryl today is, first, we're going to talk about what her morning looks like, because I believe that's just an interesting thing to hear from everyone, how we wake up and set ourselves up for an amazing day. So we're going to talk about what Cheryl's morning routine looks like, who she was before she became a registered dietitian and a certified wellness coach and a meditation teacher, how it unfolded in her life and how it has made a difference in her life today, what mindful eating is and how we can benefit from it, the intersection between mindfulness and digestion, as well as autoimmune health. Uh, Cheryl also talks to us about gluten, what the impact of gluten is in our health and how we can know if we should be avoiding it how we can implement mindful eating practices in our daily life, what the common obstacles for eating well and how we can overcome them. One thing we can do today for our health is, and also she will be guiding us through meditation and so much more. So this is just going to be an amazing podcast. And without further ado, let's just jump into it. So Sherelle, thank you so much for being here with us today. I am so happy and grateful for that. Oh, very much my pleasure to be here. Thank you. So before I start, I wanted to ask you, what is your morning routine? Well, I do my very best to, when I get up in the morning, to go for a short walk just to clear my head and then to do a short meditation and to... And just to gather my my thoughts, my intentions for the day. Because what I found is as soon as I put on my phone, turn on my computer, I see my emails, I see my messages, and my brain goes a million different places. And so I try to start my day off with a sense of purpose, a sense of intention, a sense of what I want from the day what's most important to me. There's this phrase that I really like. Uh, it's a Buddhist phrase. The most important thing is remembering the most important thing. And so I try to start my day with remembering what is the most important thing to me. So what do I want to remember? What do I want to focus my day on? And that can really help align me with my goals, my intention, my vision for myself. That's, that's beautiful. Yes. I know that creates a big difference in how you um, go about your day. Uh, I've trained myself now when I wake up in the morning before anything else to be grateful about mm. you know what's around me, about my life, because I literally noticed sometimes when I wake up, just so many thoughts come into my mind and before I'm even out of my bed, I'm anxious. So yeah. I, I honestly, yeah, like being grateful or just thinking ahead about your day and what's important makes a big difference. So, well, thank you for that. <laughs> so you're a registered dietitian, a certified wellness coach and a meditation teacher. Who were you before, you know, you became all that <laughs> and how did that unfold in your life? <laughs> I know it's a big question, but, you know, uh, just tell us about who you were before that and everything that came from that. <laughs> That's such a great question. I think unlike most people, I've always been interested in food. So, but the path has been meandering. So, because I came from a Middle Eastern family, I've always been fascinated by food because food has always been central because it's always been about feeding people. Food has always been the language of 
love of life. It's always been a big thing. And then when I was in high school and I was a runner, I learned that food played a big role in my athletic performance. But they didn't always translate into making good and nourishing choices. So there was the intellectual knowledge, but it didn't always translate into what I did. So I had several degrees in nutrition, but practice was a different story. It was only when I was already a nutritionist and a dietitian that I developed a couple of autoimmune diseases. And that was really when I really began to needed to question a lot of my life decisions and how I was eating and living and really made changes, major changes in how I was living. And that was, I think, the biggest shift. And that was around 2004 when there were large changes in how I needed to live in in order to live as well Mm -hmm. as I wanted to in order to maximize my life. And so it wasn't something I was looking for. It wasn't a change that I was wanting to make. It was more of a change that found me, but it definitely, I went from running the breastfeeding programs for DC WIC, which was something that I loved and was very passionate about, to focusing on digestive and autoimmune health and looking at stress and all those sorts of things that really weren't at all on my radar because that became the center of my life. So it was self-preservation, really. Yeah, like most of us, really. Until like something happens that wakes us up, we don't really Mm. realize. But it's also in my culture, you know, food is Mm -hmm. it's a big thing, you know, uh, show our love through food, you know. Oh yeah, um, so, you know, <laughs> we love. We just food is a big thing, but unfortunately, I'm noticing, and we see, you know, people's relationship with food has become different. It's now we're seeing like a negative side of that because you know how it makes us feel, or you know, we're associating it with weight and. We're not showing it the love that it really deserves. I see food literally as a software. The quality of the food we eat makes us who we are, right? Absolutely. Okay, so what is mindful eating and how can we benefit from it? So the simplest definition of mindful eating is eating with intention and eating with attention. So it's being conscious about what you're eating, why you're eating, and their health benefits for mindful eating. So everything for benefits in terms of blood sugar and blood pressure and weight. But there's also just, it's more enjoyable to be aware of what you're eating. Because when people are eating and they're not paying any attention, food isn't particularly tasty. When I am talking to people and I ask people to think about the best meal they've ever eaten, And I'd encourage anyone listening to do that. When you think about, you know, the best meal you've ever had, most likely it was something you ate when you were with friends or family or sometime when you were, it may have been a cultural food. But I can almost guarantee that you weren't driving, you weren't on the phone, (laughs) you weren't also sending out emails and texts. You know, it was a time when most likely that you were present, that you were paying attention, that you were awake to what you were eating. Food is tastier when we're paying attention to it. And it's a lot easier to notice when we're full and our body signals when we're we're paying attention. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's such a good exercise. I was thinking about it too. It took me Mm. definitely, you know, to the family table. Mm. Um, where we're just sitting down and you know, eating. And yeah, that's such a good way to think about it. You know, because most of us, you know, we're just eating completely, not paying attention to the food we're eating. We're eating at our desks at work, you know? Yeah. Or our I phones. Hear. And a lot of times what happens when we do that is we look up and we say, wait a minute, where's the second half of my sandwich? Or, or, or where's the rest of my fill in the blank? It's knowing and studies back this up. When we're eating and we're distracted, we don't taste our food. And so there's a couple of things. One is then people eat larger quantities and that can have health repercussions. But the other thing is 
Then there's also less joy and less pleasure in the eating. So it it cuts on both levels because, you know, for many people, weight is a piece, not for everyone. But I think for everyone, the enjoyment of food, the pleasure of eating, I mean, who doesn't want to enjoy food? You know, that piece, the idea of just missing out on the enjoyment of eating, you know, that's that's unfortunate when we're missing out on that. Yeah. And it goes back to even from how we prepare the food, right? To mm-hmm. where we get our food and uh, how much thought have we put into what we're buying, how we're preparing it, you know, what kind of environment we're preparing it at, Right. It does. And, you know, a lot of times when we're doing, there's so many different mindful eating exercises, and sometimes they're ones when you just sit there and eat. But really, mindful eating is everything from when you think about what you want to eat to how you shop or even not shop. So I grow some of my own food, but how you prepare and how you gather the food and how you prepare the food and you know, how you make the food and the whole process to eating, deciding when to stop. So do you stop when your plate's empty or what cues you to stop eating to when you put the food away? And that's a key one because how many people and how many people listening to this, when they put food away, do they end up, oh, well, there's a bite of this leftover, and this isn't enough to save, and they end up eating a second meal just when they're cleaning food up. So Mm. it's the whole process. It's how we nourish ourselves. It's the way we choose to take in food. It's not just the process of chewing. It's really just how we choose to take in. Yeah, because that also affects how we digest the food, right? It does. And I think one of the ways of thinking about it is, let's say you're in an environment where there's a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. If you're in that kind of fight or flight mode, you're not You know, because when you're in fight or flight, historically, that means you're just about to be chased by a tiger. That's what our body knows. That's what our limbic system knows. And basically, when you're in fight or flight, the body is wired to flee from a tiger. You know, the blood flow is to your hands and feet so you can run away or fight. You don't have any blood flow to your digestive tract. You're ready to run away. You're not ready to digest a large meal. So when we're in fight or flight, we're not ready to digest. That Our blood supply is not to our, our esophagus and our stomach and our small intestine. We're not relaxed in a way that, well, first of all, we're probably not going to chew very well when we're, when we're really anxious, but we're probably not getting very good blood flow to any of those organs. And we're probably also so tense that, you know, all of the smooth muscle contractions and everything else probably, you know, physiologically, it's a lot harder to digest. So we're making all of those processes a lot harder. And so many people have GERD, have IBS, have those other conditions, and we're making all of those things a lot harder when we're anxious, when we're eating. So we basically need to prepare our body so that when we're eating, it's putting its energy into the digestion and the you know consumption of the food rather than basically being focused in this fight or flight mode by whatever it is that we're doing, whether it's while we're working or eating or just the, you know, external environment, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Prepare your body yeah. for food. That's a lovely way of putting it. So whether that's taking a few deep breaths, whether that's just going for a brief walk to clear your mind, whether that's, you know, having, taking some time for gratitude for your food for whoever got your food to the table, for that we have a safe food supply, that most of us don't have to worry where our food, our next meal is coming from. You know, there are so many ways that we can really practice, start to practice and incorporate mindfulness in our lives. 
those are ways to, you know, settle our body mind that can really prepare our digestive system, but really also just kind of settle, settle ourselves and our body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I used to think, you know, when we were giving grace or we eat, it was just, I didn't really associate it with that, but actually taking the time to give thanks to, you know, where you, that you even have the food and that is here prepared is definitely sending messages to your mm. body saying it's time to eat now it's time to be grateful for this so i think that's very very beautiful yes so cheryl i know you wanted to share a meditation for us so how can we do that like how can we set our ourselves to you know consume and have all the nutrients readily available to our body what kind of meditations can we do to kind of get our ourselves ready to be grateful and enjoy the food that we eat sure so there's a couple pieces for that and one is in terms of eating what i would say and just even expand on what we were saying one thing would be taking a few conscious slow breaths before each meal So maybe three or four belly breaths before each meal. So breathing in slowly, fully, just even, you know, a deep, full inhale and a deep, long exhale. You know, even one long, deep breath goes a long way. Or as you were saying, Grace, and it doesn't have to be, you know, the classic saying Grace from when you were a kid. It's whatever expression Because those are informal meditation practices, but it can also be a more formal mindfulness practice. And I know that people listening, some of them may have formal meditation practices and some may not. And if it's okay with you, we can do a short, just pausing meditation practice. What I would say is if there's someone who's driving don't do this. You can pause and and do this later when you're when you're when you're not driving because it wouldn't be something suitable to do when you need to be focused on doing something externally. Is that something we could do briefly? Yes, please. If you're driving, pause and then come back to this. But yes, let's go ahead and um, do this meditation. Sure. So we're going to be doing just a brief what I call just a landing practice. So something that gives you the opportunity to land in your body right here, right now. So we'll start off. If it helps you to close your eyes, you're welcome to do that. Or if you're more comfortable keeping your eyes with a soft gaze, that's fine too. If you'd like to notice your feet on the floor, and your body, maybe in the chair, or wherever you're located. Beginning by taking a few full breaths, breathing in slowly and fully, and maybe breathing out with a sigh. (sighs) Breathing in slowly and fully, Relaxing and releasing on the exhale. (sighs) One more deep, full inhale. One more exhale. (sighs) And we'll start by noticing our different senses. So beginning by noticing sound. Sounds inside the room. Maybe even sounds outside. Noticing if there are any tastes residual in your mouth. 
Noticing if there are any smells. Noticing even with your eyes closed if there's any flicker of light or shadow. And noticing any points of contact. And that may be your feet against the floor or your body sitting in the chair, your clothes against your skin, and shifting from the senses to notice your emotions. Sometimes it can help to put a hand on your heart if that feels right for you. And checking in with yourself the same way you would check in with a friend. What am I needing in this moment? And just receiving any kind of messages that may show up. And shifting from the senses and the emotions to notice the mind as well. And noticing any habits of the mind that might be present. Whether that's thinking or planning or worry. Or maybe the mind is calm right now. Just noticing. Just letting all of the different areas of the present moment be as they are. And when you're ready, you can allow your breathing to deepen. If it feels right, you're welcome to wiggle your fingers or toes just to bring your attention back into the present can open your eyes if you've closed them. And you can bring your awareness back right here, right now. That was so beautiful. Oh, and so what did you notice when you did that? I was just at a calm, a calm place. And I, I really was inside my body. Hmm. Yeah, I was just feeling every sensation in my body. Um, just even the wind and just at calm and still. Oh, how lovely. It was so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. So, yeah, so tell me, like, by doing this kind of meditation regularly, what are the outcomes that we can see in our life? What benefits can we get from, you know, really being inside and noticing our emotions and our feelings? So that is such a great question. And there's two ways of answering that. And one is there's lots of research that shows that when we're emotionally present, there's lower rates of depression and anxiety. And there's actually lots of research in terms of ADHD and emotional regulation and on addiction relapse and all sorts of things like that. So there's, you know, all sorts of, you know, fields and fields of research on mindfulness. But there's also sort of the intangible benefits of feeling like you're actually present in your life, (laughs) where it's not something where I can tell you the benefit of it, but for many people, the value of actually feeling like you're living, you're, you're, you're present in your own body and living in your own life is tremendous. And that's something where it's not something that someone else can talk you into, but it's a real gift to feel like you're showing up and seeing through your own life and eyes and living through your own body. And that for many people is the real gift. It's not the stuff that's on paper kind of thing, but it's it's that lived experience. Yeah. And the more we do that, we also start making better decisions, right? For ourselves, um, whether it's 
you know, what we associate ourselves with, uh, our environment, the kind of relationship, our relationships, and also the food that we put inside ourselves, right? Absolutely. And again, this kind of goes both ways. So in a very literal way, mindfulness encourages something called neuroplasticity. So as we meditate, and that includes practicing mindful eating. So as we practice meditation, as we practice the ability to focus our attention on a specific thing, so whether that's around mindful eating or on shifting our attention on the breath or on noticing emotions and so on and so forth, we're training the mind. And as we train our mind, one of the things that's been found in studies, including you know brain MRIs and so on and so forth, is that we're able to neuroplasticity, we're able to change our brains in a way that we're able to shift behavior. So for a very long period of time, the idea was, well, children can change their behavior and maybe teenagers can change their behavior, but once you're an adult, it's all over. But one of the things that's been found is that, no, especially through things like meditation, people can change their behavior. And big things, like even when things like addiction, so behaviors that are difficult to change because a lot of times people will say, well, but I've been eating this way or making this lifestyle choice for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. Isn't it too late to change? And the answer is no. It's difficult often and it takes focus to change behaviors. But especially when we learn to sit with and be with uncomfortable sensations and notice that they do rise, crest, and fall so that they come, they're intense, and they do actually go away, and that we can learn how to tolerate being with discomfort. It's not something that any of us like to do, but that we can actually tolerate it and it goes away. We can learn how to do that around food too, so that there's a craving for something, and we can either learn how to choose something else or learn how to like with that craving and it goes away that can help make different choices around food yeah and especially about this thing that's emotional eating i'm sure a lot mm -hmm. of people know about it like when when we're meditating we become aware of you know the different feelings that mm. come up and being aware of this, those feelings helps us understand why we turn to food to kind of numb those feelings but when we're sitting in meditation and we understand where they're coming from, we can release them. Then we can, once we know what they are, then we can work on them, right? And that kind of helps into the food we eat, basically. Absolutely. I want to make sure that I'm really clear. So it's not like we sit in meditation and we're like, oh, that's the reason why I eat. And then everything magically goes away. So sometimes that happens that we have an insight and we realize the reason why we're eating and then all of a sudden the eating behaviors just magically poof shift and sometimes that happens and sometimes the reasons or the hurts or the as some of the terms in, in meditation communities will go the causes and conditions why people are eating are is more significant and it takes more time and more effort to shift some of the behaviors and just like anything else. So sometimes the awareness is enough to shift behavior and sometimes it takes other support depending on what's what the issues are. Because, you know, for some people, the reasons why people are eating are complex. And other times it's more of a simple thing. And as soon as someone understands, there's the sense of, oh, okay. And then it's easy to shift. So yeah, mm -hmm. it totally yeah. depends. Right. Yeah, of course. And, and it depends on everybody. We're all extremely different beings. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So can we talk on the intersection between mindfulness and digestion and how also how that kind of affects our autoimmune health? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. So those are some of my loves in the world. So thank you for bringing that up. So almost all digestive disorders, some of them we know what causes them and some of them we don't, but almost all digestive disorders are made worse by stress. So IBS is made worse by stress. Reflux is made worse by stress. 
Crohn's, colitis, gastroparesis. So almost all issues with digestion are made worse by stress. That doesn't mean that they're caused by stress, but it means that whatever underlying issue is going on, stress makes them worse. So almost all of those conditions, if someone meditates or if someone is able to better manage their stress, almost all of those conditions actually do improve at least to some degree. So meditation can be a great way of helping manage those conditions. And I try to be careful about how I put it because it doesn't mean that those conditions are because someone is stressed or that if someone just manages their stress, they'll magically go away. But meditation can be a way of helping manage those conditions. So when we're stressed, um, mm-hmm. that affects, it releases chemicals, right? Or enzymes. I, I'm not it does. 100%, you know. Chemicals, that, hormones, absolutely. That kind of affects how we absorb the nutrients in our foods, right? Yeah, absolutely. So when we're stressed, it affects our body's capacity to do its job in the most fundamental way. So when we're stressed, our body is less efficient at some tasks. Because basically when we're stressed, when we're under physical or emotional stress, the body says, I'm sorry, that's not a priority. We'll just cross that off the list. And some of the digestive processes kind of get push down on the list of like, okay, that's not so important. Yeah. So Cheryl, I know you're an expert in gluten. Can you talk to us Mm. a little bit about that? What is gluten and how does it affect our body? And how do we know we should even be avoiding? What are the signs and symptoms? Sure. So gluten is a protein found in wheat, barley, rye, and often by contamination in oats. And a lot of times people hear about gluten and may not totally know what it is and who needs to avoid it. So the very, very quick summary is people with celiac definitely need to avoid gluten. And many people with celiac don't know it. So over 80% of people with celiac don't know they have it, which makes it really tricky. So the long and short is Celiac is a condition where it's an autoimmune condition and some people have digestive issues where they may have stomach pain or they may have, you know, diarrhea or constipation, but they may also have issues like infertility or they may have skin issues or they may have depression. So it may show up in all sorts of unconventional kinds of ways, or it may even just show up as quote unquote silent celiac where Someone may not have symptoms and they may only find out they have it because someone in their family is diagnosed with it. So if someone is concerned that they have celiac disease, what they should do is actually see their doctor and get a blood test. And if it's positive, then get a biopsy, which isn't a lot of fun, but it is important because celiac disease is a lifelong diagnosis. But in addition to celiac disease, which affects about 1% of the population, there's about 5% and maybe about 10% of the population that is affected by gluten or more broadly wheat. And that would be a longer conversation. But the long and short is that different components, many people, especially people with autoimmune issues, seem to be affected by gluten. This can often be people with thyroid disease, particularly Hashimoto's. It may also be people with other kinds of conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, sometimes uh, believed people with MS, possibly people with lupus, so other kinds of autoimmune conditions. There's also some evidence that people with IBS may also react to some of the components of wheat in a way where they may have symptoms that may not be gluten, that may be other components in wheat, but people still may feel better on a gluten-free diet. So when we get off of gluten, Mm -hmm. and if we were affected by it somehow, what are the changes that we can notice in our our body? So, So there is such a wide range because as I mentioned before, 
there are the people with celiac and there are the people with gluten sensitivity and there are the people with fructan sensitivity. So the different components of gluten and wheat may affect people in very different ways. And so for some people, it's digestive issues. And for some people, it's autoimmune issues. And for some people, it's skin issues. And so and for some people, it's mood issues. So the kinds of changes vary hugely because the kinds of symptoms people may have vary widely. It is an area of a lot of research. And it is an area that's actually quite fascinating because it's something that I find quite fascinating. And it's, it's something that... Uh, there's so many different ways we could talk about it, and I'm sure we could talk about it for hours and in different areas. It's knowing, I think you had mentioned, knowing actually specifically, there are some areas in the world, and actually specifically like Sub-Saharan Africa and Ethiopia, is actually the area that has the highest rate of celiac disease, but it's not really known or rarely discussed. And that's because that's an area where traditionally wheat was not eaten. It's an area where largely there was teff in areas where wheat wasn't grown. And some studies actually show there's, rather than the 1% where there is most of the world, there's more like 5%. So lots of just different research on wheat and gluten and fructans. And we could talk about that for hours. I find it fascinating. Yeah. That's so interesting. I, I didn't know that. So I need to read more about that. <laughs> endless endless <laughs> trivia on yeah. gluten for sure right. but it goes back again to knowing ourselves knowing our body getting inside ourselves and start to question you know how we feel right i don't think i don't know if many people do this but for, i didn't used to do it but really sitting with ourselves and our organs are working like where am i having pain or where am I not feeling well, you know, because mm -hmm. we really need to kind of understand and how our body works and where mm -hmm. we can do better, right? Absolutely. So having that inquiry of how is my body feeling and how do I respond to having more of something or less of something or this kind of movement or that kind of movement? so that you're able to notice how do I feel when I have protein in the morning or how do I feel when I eat this kind of fruit versus that kind. So that's really what mindfulness and mindful eating comes back to. So noticing, so rather than having someone prescribe this is what you need to eat. Because, you know, nutritionally, there are some things that we know everyone needs a certain amount of protein and this kind of fat and that kind of fat. But there's also a certain amount of mindfulness of how do I respond to this food versus that food? And that is really where mindfulness comes in of just noticing how your body responds to certain things. And that's really, I think, how we can be the best caretakers for our body. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Right now, I feel like we place the responsibility for our health to external factors or to just doctors and yes you know they're amazing and we need them um, mm -hmm. but we should also kind of put back that responsibility to ourselves and start to become aware of our own body and how it reacts to certain things because we're all very different you know i know yep. in my own culture like we, we know that when somebody is not feeling well or they're taking uh, medication, then they say, okay, maybe I need that too, you know, uh, which is kind of funny. You know, we, we laugh about it, but we really need to take back that responsibility of how am I feeling and how do I react to certain things? So, yes, I think that kind of, that's what really mindful eating is really thinking about what our what we're consuming and how that's affecting us right mm -hmm. yeah definitely yeah. hear you in terms of that ownership absolutely so what do you think are the i mean we kind of touched around them but what are the common obstacles for eating well and how do you think we can overcome them so obstacles to eating well time money attention, you know, it's going to depend for different people, availability for, and I think our culture 
rewards busy and multitasking. And so really overcoming them, I think, is largely prioritizing and being intentional. So for many people, the more we're intentional about mapping out how we're going to have breakfast, and maybe that's packing a lunch or planning where we're going to get a balanced lunch and, you know, prioritizing making dinner at home or planning where we're going to get a balanced dinner versus having the sense of like, oh, well, I'm sure it'll work out. (laughs) Because a lot of times when we have the sense of, hey, I'm sure it'll work out. It's difficult in this culture to have a grab-and-go balanced meal at most restaurants or most places because the reality is at most places, it's difficult to find things that are balanced. There are certainly some restaurants and places that support it, but it also then requires being intentional about where you go. So I think it It goes back to, again, the definition of mindful eating, eating with intention and attention. So it's planning out meals intentionally and with attention. So having that sense of where am I going to eat and what kinds of things am I choosing, whether you're eating at home or whether you're eating out. So would you say, I know a lot of people ask this question, but is eating healthy really expensive rather than just unhealthy food? So it is definitely more expensive generally to eat vegetables and fruit than it is to to eat heavily processed things. And that is unfortunate. And it is also mm-hmm. extraordinarily expensive to be sick and to take medications mm-hmm. and to not be able to work and to have the emotional burden of being unwell. So unfortunately, I believe that our country subsidizes the wrong kinds of foods. And I I believe that really firmly. So yes, I think that you can economically eat well, and that's something that I wish was emphasized more. And I think that the emotional costs, the physical costs, the opportunity lost costs of being unwell are huge. So I think long-term, the costs of not eating well are far outweigh the costs of of eating well. Right. And I don't know. I mean, in my opinion, I think it's better if you can't uh, go ahead and buy all organic fruits and vegetables. I'd still rather buy fruits and vegetables that are not organic than go with the processed food option, you know, Um, because... We can all live, I think, within our budget and buy things that are, you know, fruits, vegetables, but if they're not organic, it's better than still paying for something else that can affect your health, you know, in a negative way. So, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that having fruits and vegetables that aren't organic is absolutely better for you than not eating vegetables and fruit. So I, I'm definitely in agreement with you there. Mm-hmm. And uh, okay. and I definitely okay. I definitely wish the subsidies in our country were different than they are and whew, someday maybe. Yeah. Right. Yes. And also cooking more at home is absolutely. definitely less, you know, you can save money by cooking at home rather than going out. Um, mm-hmm. that, because you know what you're buying, you know what ingredients you're using, and you still save money. So I don't know. I think, in my opinion, we can still make the right choices within our budget. And it, um, it's knowing, you know, I, I know that everyone has different budgetary constraints, and that is a real thing. And it's knowing that I agree with you that for many people, it's still workable to eat in a balanced way. It's harder, but it's still workable. Exactly. And it goes back to, you know, you'll spend more money if you're sick. So better to plan ahead and, you know, kind of prepare for for, for that. So what is one thing that we can do today for our health? Mm. So I would say, and that is such a great question, taking time to pause, taking time to practice gratitude 
taking time to do something physical that you love, taking time to hug someone. I know that's like four things. Those would be great starting spots. I agree. Yeah. Gratitude. I think that's a game changer. It has definitely been for me. Yeah. So Cheryl, I believe in serving. We were here to serve people and I, I believe in serving others. So what is it that me and my listeners can do to serve you? Oh, that is a sweet question. So what I would say and my my request, and I love that you asked that question, would be the best way to to honor, which is even a sweet request, would be do something kind for yourself and do something kind for someone else. Because there is yeah. something about when you take care of yourself, it ripples. It ripples to other people. And when you're practicing self-care, you're modeling self-care. You're showing an example of how to practice self-care and also really taking care of, you know, showing kindness to other people. So that would be, that would, that would be my request. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. So how can our listeners reach you or they can find information about you and have access to you? Sure. So my website is harriswholehealth.com and I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter. I'm imagining the links would be somewhere floating around on a page <laughs> somewhere. And, and I'll so, put that on the show notes. Gotcha. And so people can <laughs> find me there. I practice in Fairfax, Virginia. And yeah, so if people are around and want to find me, that's where you all can find me. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here, Cheryl. Oh, we learned so much from you and we're so grateful for you. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. That was just a beautiful discussion we had. And I hope that you were able to get some really useful information and I hope that was a learning experience for you. Cheryl is just wonderful and she's so talented. If you would like to reach out to Cheryl, her website is www.harriswholehealth.com and you can reach her at Twitter at Cheryl Harris RD and she has a Facebook account and I will be posting all this on the show notes and I'm just so glad that you were a part of this discussion with us and don't forget if you enjoyed this podcast don't forget to subscribe thank you so much